Dale Ralph Davis is uh, an American pastor and uh, he also lectured in seminary. And he's written several books and uh, commentaries and he's a short one on Psalms 1 to 12 and he entitles it, The Way of the Righteous in the Muck of Life. I think it's a great title. And reminds us that's what the Christian life is like. It is tough. It's uh, living through the trials and troubles of this fallen, sinful world in which we live in this muck of life. And in Psalms 3 and 4, which we look at this morning, hopefully we'll see something of that in the troubles and trials that David faces. And as we come into the autumn, there's rain, there's muck on the roads, and sometimes you're driving along and your car is covered in rain or even mud sometimes with the dirt and you can't see. What do you do? You put on your windscreen wipers to clear the dirt away so you don't veer off the road and have an accident. Isn't that what you do? And these Psalms help us do that amidst the muck of life so we can keep on going with God so we don't veer off course. Some suggest that Psalm 3 is a morning psalm. In verse 5, he lays down to sleep, then he awakes again, for the Lord has sustained him. And Psalm 4 is an evening psalm. It ends in peace, I'll both lie down and sleep. Both psalms have an inscription at the beginning, which we often don't read when we come together to read the psalms, but they're there, they're in the text. And they're for our instruction and help. And Psalm 3 begins as Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. That gives us the context of this psalm at least. And my first heading is entitled From Fear to Faith. You can read in 2 Samuel the situation. Absalom uh, at one point had rebelled against his father. In fact, previous to that, he had uh, actually killed one of David's other sons by another wife. And he'd been exiled for a while, but now he's come back. But his intent is to get one over on his father and to usurp him. And now Absalom has gathered people around him, and David has decided he's got to get out of Jerusalem. He's got to flee. Indeed, even as he flees with an entourage and leaves one of uh, Saul's supporters, Saul, of course, David's predecessor, makes the most of his chance and begins to hurl taunts and accusations against David and curses. And the Lord suggests that David ought to deal with this gentleman, but David says, well, hold on, maybe, maybe God is speaking to me here. Maybe he's meant to do this. But certainly people are questioning, can this really be God's servant? Can this man really be saved? Look what's happening to him. Look what people are doing. Can God indeed do anything for him now? So here in Psalm 3, David says, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. 
Men are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him and God. And then there is this little Hebrew word, Salah. Salah, we're not quite sure what it means. Some think it's a musical interlude or just a, a pause. Maybe the idea is that we need to stop and take stock and ponder and reflect. When trouble comes to our door, is this because of something you've done or haven't done? Or is it because you are taking a stand for God and you will face enemies? Jesus says, if they hated me, they will hate you. That is the reality. If you take a stand for Jesus and seek to deliver him, you will face opposition of one sort or another. So, so fact, we live in a fallen, sinful world, and like the rest of mankind, we as Christians face the same troubles. Car accidents. Cancer. Cost of living crisis. And so we need to stand firm and look to the Lord. Ask, is it something I've done? Is it just because I'm living for the Lord and faced opposition as Martin Luther, Luther certainly experienced? Is it because we simply live in a fallen world? So how do we move then from fear of these problems, these difficulties, these trials to faith? We follow the example of David here. What does David do? He looks to God. He doesn't simply see the opposition and the foes and the enemies. He looks beyond them to God on high. To who God is and what he has promised to be for his people. And so he says in verse 3, But you, Lord, are a shield about me. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. He looks to God. The God who will be our shield as he was David's shield. God who will lift our heads as he lifted David's head. The God who will keep his promises as he kept his promises to David. It is God who will answer. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. It's God we should look to. So often we simply look at ourselves, our own resources, and we fail, and we fret, and we pace the room at night, and we can't sleep, and we can't rest. Is not the case. In 1981, Pat and Andrew Cardi's daughter, Jennifer, cycled off to a friend's house and never came back. A week later, she was found murdered. What nights are those waiting, wondering? not knowing for sure, but fearing the worst. 
And on the fourth day, Pat's doctor came and left her some sleeping tablets. She went to bed or tried to go to bed that night and wondered how long would she need these tablets as a crutch to get her through. And sometimes they're necessary such things. Before she took any but that night, she meditated, she pondered God's promises. And particularly one in Psalm 127, which says, The Lord gives sleep to those he loves. You know, even sleep is a gift of God. And it's hard to cope with life when you can't sleep. Or you're worried or fretful or whatever. But anyway, she read that verse, she thought about it, she meditated upon it, and she claimed it. Lord, you have said you'll give sleep to those you love. Give me sleep. And she slept that night. And every night after. It didn't bring Jennifer back. And God gave her peace amidst trouble and tragedy. And even if we face enemies and troubles and trials like that, how will we get sleep? How will we cope? unless we turn to God's resources and God's promises. From fear to faith. Putting our eye on the one who is greater, the one who is able, the one who is in control, even though we don't understand what's going on. Someone has said, one plus God is a majority. Remember Peter? That day they were in the boat and Jesus came walking across the water. You know, initially they thought it was a ghost. They feared. Then Peter realized it was Jesus. Lord, it's you. Tell me, command me to come out on the water to you. Come, Peter. When Peter got out of the boat, he looked at Jesus and began to walk across the water. He didn't sink, he didn't drown. And then what happened? He took his eyes off Jesus. He saw not Jesus, but the water and the waves and the wind. And what happened? He floundered. He sank. And that was what happens to us. We take our eyes off Jesus, off his word, his promises, his character, and we flounder. Well, David fixed his eyes upon his God. And so he moved from fear to faith. When I was younger, I remember a chorus we used to sing. I haven't sung it in a long, long time. When the road is rough and steep, fix your eyes on Jesus. He alone has power to keep. Fix your eyes on him. Jesus is a gracious friend one on whom you can depend. He will keep you to the end. Fix your eyes on him. And if we do that, we can move from fear to faith. It 
Psalm 4. And again, deals with the people who are attacking David and telling lies about him, sticks and stones. How do we deal with slander, with what people say about us that is untrue, that is hurtful? So we read, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me. Hear my prayer. O man, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Again, we don't know the context of this psalm, unlike Psalm 4. But his complaint is that people are telling lies about him. He is being slandered. He's being attacked by words. As we say to young ones, sometimes that can be and often is more painful than physical abuse. The right word here, the missing word there, can make your name mud. Can turn others against you and can hurt more deeply than a physical stab to your body. Perhaps in the workplace, perhaps at home, perhaps out on the football pitch or somewhere. We know the rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But we all know that's a lie. People's words can be deeply hurting. They talk about mental abuse, and that's what it can be. And I'm sure you've experienced it to some extent. What do you do? What do we do in such times? What did David do? Well, again, he brought it to God. He lays it all out before God, just as Hezekiah, when the Assyrians had surrounded the city, Jerusalem, and called upon him to surrender all the other towns and cities and gods they've lost, so you need to surrender. He lays out the letter before God, says, Lord, here's the situation. Answer me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. It comes to the God who is righteous and who alone can make him righteous. He knows he's not sinless. But it's God who makes him righteous. And we know that's through Jesus. He is our righteousness. We are sinners, and yet, by the grace of God, through faith in Christ, we are forgiven. We're brought into God's family. We're counted as if we had never sinned. And so we can approach God and seek his mercy. And then he sets out his complaint. These men who dishonor him, who turn his honor into shame, who use vain words, who seek after lies. In fact, he's even addressing them, not just God. Oh man, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? And then he tells them, and he reminds himself, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. He reminds them, he reminds himself that 
we are the apple of God's eye. And that God will hear us when we call. Which is not to say He will always immediately answer in the way we want or expect or hope. But He will hear. Indeed, and previously in verse 1, he says, you have given me relief when I was in distress. Thinks back to past answered prayer, past deliverances, which encourage him for the future or the present. In fact, the Hebrew there, you've given me relief when I was in distress. A more literal translation is, you gave me space when I was in a tight place. You gave me space when I was in a tight place, when I was under pressure. But David doesn't just pray to God. He prays not just for himself, but even for his enemies, verse 4. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. telling those who oppose him, you need to think about what you're doing. You need to stop in your own beds and ponder these facts. Jesus says, every word we utter, God will call to account. Not just every deed, but every word. He says, you ought to offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Isn't that amazing? You see, unlike Islam and other religions, true Christianity does not take revenge. But it encourages us to pray even for our enemies. And unless we ponder God's grace to us in Christ, we cannot do that. And even as Christians, it is so difficult at times. So we need to ponder, by grace you have been saved, not of works. You didn't deserve God's mercy. And so in light of the mercy you have received, Offer mercy, pray for your enemies, and leave judgment with God. And sometimes God will judge and deal with them. He said this in previous chapter, chapter 3, verse 7, for you strike all my enemies in the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked. Sometimes God does come in judgment. But we leave it with God. And we even pray sometimes for that God might be merciful to even our enemies. And what Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. And then he reminds his enemies, and indeed us, that true goodness and blessing come from God. Verse 7, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. The writer in Hebrews chapter 10 writes to those who joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you enjoyed a better possession and an abiding one. Some Christians have been arrested, imprisoned, 
And the others, instead of hiding and covering over the faith, were visiting them, were willing to accept the confiscation of their own property. Why? Because they knew they had a, a better possession than an abandoning one. The possessions or position didn't count. What mattered was being in Christ and knowing his eternal blessing as well as his present temporal blessing. That all this world, all the things we have, one day will be gone. The things of God no one can take from us. I think we need to keep that in mind. And sometimes, indeed often, the trials and troubles of life are there to remind us of these things. Things of this world are to be enjoyed, yes, but not held on to at all cost. The things of God, no one and nothing can take away. And sometimes the troubles remind us, hold on here, what matters? Is it your possessions, your position? What others think of you or what God thinks and your eternal security. And when one day, as David says, your joy will abound when you see Jesus. And we'll be like him. And so thinking of all these things, praying for his enemies, bringing it to God, how does he end? Ends there in verse 8. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. It doesn't mean to say that his troubles or trials are gone. The enemy, the foe, is still there. But he is a presence in the promises of God. And the enemy can't take those away. Jesus promised, no one will pluck you from my hand. You are secure in Christ. His promise is what he started, he will finish in us. He will never leave or forsake. His grace will be sufficient. His right hand will uphold us. We have these promises. And we need to grasp them. We might go to our bed, go to our evening rest, and sleep secure in Christ. Secure in the fact he keeps his words. What he's done for David, for Jeremiah, for Peter, for Paul, he will do for us. He is that God from fear to faith, from dealing with slander and resting in peace. Let's unite in prayer. Father, we know that life is full of ups and downs. We think of the many ups and blessings, but we face the downs, the troubles, the setbacks, the disappointments, the hurts, the opposition, the muck of life. Father, how we need your help and your grace, and we need to cast ourselves upon your promises, as David did. Thank you for your word that it's there for 
our blessing, for our encouragement as a pattern for us to face with the problems of life. Help us do likewise. Help us know peace and rest amidst the turmoil, the storm of whatever it is around and about us. And may the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit we may abound in hope. As we pray in Jesus' name, amen.